Do you want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily. It's called Spotify for Podcasters. It lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer. So no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. You know I love that, and I promise you the other platforms don't offer that. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can also earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. I've been using Spotify for Podcasters from the very start. I highly recommend you give it a try. Just don't post on Monday. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com slash podcasters to get started. Welcome everyone to Monday Match Analysis. I'm Gil Gross, Next Gen ATP Finals. Over and out, Stefanos Tsitsipas, the champion over there. World Tour Finals underway. Roger Federer losing. But uh, this video, I want to focus on more so last week. I'll quickly preview this week. Uh, but we'll have plenty of time to talk about it uh, next Monday. That That is the World Tour Finals. This video, as I said, it's going to be a lot of comment response. I asked for your comments on the last one, and I was super, super happy uh, with how many people had some really fun comments, cool questions, um, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm going to get to all of those shortly. But first, I kind of want to run through these next-gen guys real quick, kind of give my impressions on what I saw last week since it's it's an opportunity to see them side by side. Um, with the exception of a few who, I mean, I guess Shapovalov's the only guy who said, I don't want to play it, I believe. And I'll talk about him a little bit later because someone asks about him. Um, I'll also touch on um, Sasha Zverev, who wasn't in it. Uh, but for now, I kind of want to just go through these guys. Um, and I'll start with the champion Stefanos Tsitsipas. I think the best way to do this is I just want to say what I think... Um, I'm going to give one thing, one thing that they do really, really well and, and makes them uh, f makes them forces to be reckoned with, and one thing that they need to improve. Um, just, you know, a, a general kind of statement on Tsitsipas's week. Uh, it seemed like in the beginning he wasn't fully engaged, um, and then he got really, really engaged at the end um, and played an a incredible match against Alex de Menor who had an awesome week and and played a pretty good final against Tsitsipas, and Tsitsipas was just too good. Indoor hardcourt, uh, dominating with his forehand, coming up with a lot of big serves with the with the no-ad scoring in that match, which I really think swung it. There were a few deuce points on Tsitsipas's serve in in the third set. I don't know if there was in the in, in the fourth set possibly as well. And and Tsitsipas on a couple of occasions was able to save or not save, I guess, because it's not or I guess it's, it is a break point. So save a break point with those big serves. I'll talk about the rules coming up um, in the comment response as well. Um, some of the experimental rules in the next gen final for Tsitsipas, the strength. This is a guy who we've talked about a lot on the channel. So so this is nothing new, but it's the forehand and it is an it's an impeccable weapon. I think it's a little bit more precise than Juan Martin Del Potro's forehand. Um, it's a, it get, he gets a little bit less MPH on it and a little bit less uh, – it's not as dangerous from uh, 
back way back behind the baseline because because it he doesn't have the same sort of pop but inside the court and on top of the baseline I think his forehand if it's not as good as Juan Martin Del Potro's forehand right now it's really getting there so I think it's at the Federn you know I think it will be if it's not there yet I mean it might not be but I think it will be at the level where you know Federer's forehand Nadal's forehand and Del Potro's forehand is at where uh you know the the big the biggest forehands in the sport are generally some of the most important weapons in the sport. That's just kind of how it goes in modern tennis. That shot's so important. So that's my strength for Tsitsipas. Weakness. It's the backhand, and I have talked in in recent weeks about how I think the backhand's improved. I think it looks better. I think it's getting better and better, which is a really good thing. It's not bad, but if you're looking at, but I don't think it's an elite. Top 10 ATP tour level shot. I think it's it's below that. I think it's, you know, Tsitsipas's backhand is pretty pedestrian in my opinion in, in the scope of, of, of the top of the game, of the top of the men's game. I'm not really saying this very well, but you get, I think you get the picture here. Uh, I think it, it leaves a lot, a little bit to be desired, Tsitsipas's backhand. He just needs to build up the strength a little bit. That's that's the number one thing. I think he needs to build up the strength, and uh, that's coming. He's super young still, obviously. Moving on to D Minor. His strength is his speed. I think he's the fastest guy in tennis right now. I don't think Gil Monfils is faster than him. I don't think Nadal is faster than him. Um, Djokovic is maybe as fast as him. Maybe I don't think so. I really don't think so. Moving, the, watching this guy move around the court, it's something different. It's another level. I think it's a notch above everyone else. Uh, Demonor is, in my opinion, the fastest guy on tour. I don't know if if you guys uh, would agree with that. I think it's not just the speed. It's it's also the quickness. He he goes from zero to one hundred in in one step. And, and that's what makes him so quick around the court. And that's something that it doesn't, it doesn't really matter. Like there will never be a six foot five guy who has that kind of quickness. I don't think at least, I don't think it'll ever happen. So that's one aspect of the game where Demonor, who's, who's an undersized player, I think he's about five foot 11. If you are undersized, where do you make up for it? Well, he makes up for it in his quickness. And that's something that if you're 6'5", you will never have Alex Dimonor quickness. And what I really like about him is something I've complained about with, with Hyun Chung, with Chung. And um, Chung doesn't trust his legs enough. He's a great athlete and he's very quick, but he makes, he, he doesn't play with enough margin. He doesn't have the kind of patterns that would suggest that he's comfortable defending where Demonor, I think, really trusts his legs, and as a result, um, he's able to play safer tennis when, especially defensively, where he kind of knows. Well, I don't really need to worry about kind of giving myself margin on the shot because I know that I'll be able to catch up to the next ball using my speed. His weakness: forehand consistency. His forehand's so interesting technically. It kind of fascinates me. Um, it's very much, it very much reminds me of a whip. He keeps his wrist, actually his whole arm, very, very loose. Uh, but it's also, it's not a compact swing. It's pretty long. Uh, it's pretty unconventional. 
And normally I think it's it's a good shot. He hits it pretty flat, but I think it's a good shot. What I saw is just kind of in high-pressure situations against Tsitsipas, that was the shot that lost him the match. In the third set tiebreak, in the fourth in the fourth set tiebreak, um, that, that was the shot that lost him the match. All right, I'll start going a little bit quicker. TFO, his strength to me is his is his strength, his explosiveness. Uh, he's a really strong guy. He's got strong legs, and and as a result, he can he can really kind of do in a lot of ways what Stan Wawrinka, what a guy like Stan Wawrinka is able to do from the back of the court, and that is you know he he's able to hit his forehand heavy enough, his backhand a little bit less so. Um, he's able to hit his forehand though very heavy from the back, and it gives him some more time to set up. I just think, I just think physically he is on par with with most players. The weakness, and this has been frustrating me because as an American, um, I want TFO to do well. Because I, I I want him to bring kind of the popularity to the to the sport that I know a top American in men's tennis can do, and um, also uh, a player of color, um, an American of color um, at the top of the game that could could open up a lot of new doors. You know, people young players want to see people who look like them when they turn on their television. Uh, that's the kind of thing that that inspires people. So you know, I'm always pulling for TFO. I haven't been seeing the fight that I want to see. And that's very frustrating to, to me. If, if you look at all the players I I root hard for and, and I, I enjoy, and we're going to get to one of these guys coming up, uh, these are all guys who I think give 110% in a way that I feel is admirable. You know, that's why David Ferrer is slash was my favorite player. Maybe it's was now. I don't know. It's very sad. Um, but I don't see that from TFO. I want to see more fight. And to me, that's the weakness. Taylor Fritz. The strength is uh, roundedness. Forehand, backhand, I think they're pretty even. Uh, the serve, it's pretty good. The movement, it's all right. But I think that's where the weakness is. The speed is where I think Fritz kind of lacks the the uh, elite athleticism. As a ball striker, I think he's very polished, and I don't think he misses a lot of easy shots. So that's good by Fritz. Rublev, strength is the power off both wings. I mean, he can punish the tennis ball. And uh, the weakness is the defense all around, and it's not necessarily his legs. It's almost It's almost like Rublev doesn't know how to defend with his racket. He just doesn't have that... You know, he needs to train high, loopy, cross-court um, defensive tennis. That's that's what I feel like he needs to train. He he doesn't have he doesn't have defensive, especially when it comes to you know hitting hitting topspin um, on defense. I mean, anyone can hit a squash shot, but I what I don't see from Rublev is I don't see him defending with his forehand grip or with his natural backhand grip. I see him only defending with continental. So that's something that he can work on. Jaume Munar, strength, the fight. He idolizes Rafa Nadal. He went to Rafa Nadal's academy. And that's who he reminds me of. The, the mental game is incredible. Um, I love it. I swear to God, I'm not Spanish. But I can already tell this guy's going to be one of my favorites because of the way he plays. This is just it's the play style that, that, I, um, that I 
I just find very likable and rootable. That's all. Weakness is the backhand. Uh, he leaves it in the middle of the court. He, I mean, his, he, 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 it's the kind of backhand where it's just he's waiting for a forehand, which is sometimes okay. Um, it's more okay if you have a massive forehand, with which Munar doesn't. Um, his slice backhand is good, so he uses that a lot. So I should specify, the topspin backhand, he can't hurt you with it, and more importantly, he'll leave it in the middle of the court a lot. That's the weakness. Um, the two, the next two guys, I almost don't want to comment on, um, Hubert, uh, Herkatch or Herkotch, um, someone actually commented asking me to talk about him, um, someone texted me, Daniel Scotty actually texted me and said, dude, this guy is exactly like Burdich, and I, I tend to agree, it, technically off the ground it looks like that, um, body, body type, it's very similar to that. Uh, so I do need to see more, though. I, I don't really want to comment. And then um, I believe it's Leah, uh, Liam uh, Caruana or, yeah, something like that. Um, I didn't actually get to see him last week, to be honest. So him I didn't get to see. All right. How long did I just go? 12 minutes. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to split this up. We're going to move to the comments. I, I never put up the... Uh-oh. Damn, I just, I just accidentally closed my PowerPoint. So let me pull this back up. It's loading. Uh, what I'm going to do, I'm going to go to the comments, and then I'm going to come back to some other things. One thing that, that I saw in a comment, and I couldn't find the comment, was someone was wondering... Um, I guess I was talking about Sasha Zverev struggling, and they were saying, Gil, help me, I don't understand what he does well. And I want to make this point, because I talk about, and, and we watch and we discuss, tennis at the very, 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 very highest level. But one thing remains true from... Eight unders from 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 quick start tennis, junior tennis, to college tennis, high school tennis, amateur tennis, etc., etc., semi pro, everything. Generally, the player who misses less wins the match. So, because we talk so much about you know, top 30 players facing off, a lot of the time the narrative is elsewhere. And, and we're not really talking about, okay, this guy missed less and that's why he won. But in reality, I mean, the player who makes less errors usually wins. And for Sasha Zverev, the guy doesn't miss a lot. And that's what makes him really good. If you look at like Andy Murray, and, and this is a quality that's just often simply unappreciated. A lot of people in, in message boards and comments say, you know, either, oh, Andy Murray's a pusher, Andy Murray is boring. Andy Murray doesn't miss. Novak Djokovic doesn't really miss. So, I mean, this is obviously just, that's paramount in tennis. So when Zverev's on, when Zverev's confident, 
And I want to qualify this. He doesn't miss, but here's the thing also. Any player, any professional tennis player can just not miss. But here's why it's not pushing. It's not pushing if you don't decelerate your racket. It's not pushing if you're ripping the ball. And Sasha can rip the ball and not miss. And that's why he's good. If you, if you look at a guy like Adrian Manorino, Manorino doesn't miss. Why isn't Manorino a top 10 player? M Manorino, he decelerates. He doesn't rip the ball. He, he is the closest thing on tour to a pusher. And I, it's, not, it's not really a derogatory term. I mean, if you're a professional tennis player, everyone can kick rocks. You know? You're not a pusher, really. But uh, Manorino is the closest thing there is on tour to a pusher. So when I say this guy doesn't miss, I don't mean he has the ability to get the ball on the court. Everyone has that ability. Sasha, Sasha can, can he, he's a really clean hitter. And that's something you'll notice if you watch him. If you watch the top guys practice and, and play courtside, you'll notice there's a difference between how clean they hit the ball on a consistent basis and how clean other guys hit the ball on a consistent basis. He's got an above average serve. He can move at six foot six. He packs a really good punch. And the, and the backhand is a weapon. But because the forehand isn't a weapon, because the serve isn't huge, because the movement isn't great, because the defense isn't great, because the offense isn't great, a lot of people say, what's so good about Sasha Zverev? He doesn't miss. That's what's so good about Sasha Zverev. There's our thumbnail. Getting to it a little late. Stefanos Tsitsipas, next-gen trophy. I really like that trophy. It's sleek. It's sleek. Let's go to the first comment. LSB, Anderson is almost as tall, same age, and played the same match at Wimbledon semifinal and played the mega match versus Federer. Why do you keep making this excuse for Isner when Candy, which is a pretty funny nickname, uh, who then played the final two has continued to go pretty far subsequently? Doesn't make sense, and it was way back in July. Come on. Much more likely he has been distracted by impending and then fatherhood. Okay. Um... So first of all, the, the first thing I'll say is Kevin Anderson deserves massive props for his conditioning because he has borderline superhuman conditioning. And I think what, what he did at Wimbledon is impeccable. What he did after Wimbledon is impeccable. There's a major difference, though, and, and I, I have a few points here. There's a major difference between Anderson and Isner, and that is Isner, after Wimbledon, has his home tournament in... He gets one week off, then has to play Atlanta, his home tournament. No one's forcing him to play. So when I say has to, I mean has that kind of extra pull factor. Um, so Atlanta, right? And and it's actually, it's sort of, it's quasi-home tournament. He's a, he went to the University of Georgia. So he's got a lot of kind of family and fans there. So he doesn't really get to rest. Anderson... Um, and then basically Isner plays Washington, D.C. He shouldn't have played Washington, D.C. That was stupid. But here's the thing. Isner loves playing in the United States. This is Isner's favorite time of year. So Isner then plays D.C. And then I believe he pulled out of Canada from pure exhaustion. Um, then he didn't have much in the tank in Cincinnati. And then I think by the U.S. Open, he was recovered. So I think one of the major differences between Anderson and Isner is... 
Isner played two tournaments after Wimbledon when Kevin Anderson kicked back and relaxed for a month. And right now, as we speak, I'm just double-checking to make sure. Yeah, Anderson did not play the, the, the City Open. I just wanted to make sure. I was pretty sure he didn't. Um, but yeah, Anderson made the semifinals of Rogers Cup. Then he uh, went to the round of 16, lost to Gafan at in Cincinnati. No shame in that. So, so you're right. Anderson came back, had good results, and had a good result in the U.S. Open, making the round of 16, losing to Dominic Team, who was playing great tennis. Um, and that was, he did lose in three sets. That's not great. But, uh, you know, I think Anderson deserves props. I don't think the circumstance is the same. I don't really think it's comparable. And then the second thing is about impending fatherhood. If you watch the matches, Isner was gassed. So if you watch the match, and I, I don't know if anyone cares. I don't know why we're hearkening back to the summer. Um, this, th this comment had a lot of likes, um, so that's why I, I thought I should definitely respond to it. But um, the fatherhood thing, like, the guy would be on the court and his serve was like, would be down to 120. So I don't think John Isner is serving 120 miles per hour because of impending fatherhood. I think he's serving 120 miles per hour because he's tired. All right. My question for you, Gil... I understand you stay very professional and impartial with your views and tend not to make polarizing or controversial calls regarding this topic. This is true. One, do you think Djokovic will catch Federer in slams? Where will Nadal finish? And um, two, who has reached the highest level of tennis ever? If you'd rather answer a question about the tour currently, who do you think will be the next non-Big Four member to win a slam? Hatchinoff? Also, thoughts on Kyrgios. Cheers. Thank you for that, Johnny. Um, all right. So, you're trying to get me in trouble. I understand that. And, and yeah, the reason I shy away from this is because, first of all, yeah, there's a lot of ugly stuff that comes from talking about this. Um, and then the second thing is... It's very, there's a lot of variables that I simply think is out of the realm of prediction, such as health. I mean, it really does come down to longevity, you know? I mean, Novak, Djokovic, Novak Djokovic's body could theoretically fail on him in two years. It could. I mean, we have seen bodies at the age of, of 30 do that. This, this would not be crazy. We have seen this at, at, you know, 28 through 33, and then we've seen someone like Federer, who was able to, is able to preserve his body, and with the exception of some, some issues with, with season-long endurance, which I'm going to get to a little bit later, um, the guy is still in good shape. What's going to happen with Novak? Who knows? And that's why, that's why I don't really like this. Um, my gut is that it's not really going to be about Novak. Um, and I think it might be about, um, some others, but I have a feeling that Federer probably has one more in him. That's just kind of my feeling. Um, I think that Rafa still, um, has French opens at the very least, that he will be taking from Novak Djokovic because, 
you know, only one guy can win. You know, I think I think Rafa is still in a position where if you're going to ask me who's going to win the French Open next year, I'm still feeling pretty confident that the answer is Rafa. I mean, let's not forget, when Rafa was healthy this year, he was incredible. Just didn't have a, a great year in terms of health. You know, Novak showed some fragility, but is back to, to the top. So I think any tournament on hard court, I think Wimbledon, I think, you know, Djokovic kind of comes in um, as the favorite for probably probably the next two years. It's going to be very close. And I, yeah, like, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to make a, I'm not going to really, you know, make a, uh, what do you call it? I have, I don't have this, I don't, I can't find the word that I'm looking for. Uh, but I think it's going to be very close. Who has reached the highest level of tennis ever? Tough, very tough. Um, I think it's 2011 Novak Djokovic in the beginning of the season. Um, this is a guy, this is a guy who would literally just, and, and I don't think, I think the reason is, I don't think the way he was playing is sustainable. I don't think you can do it for more than five months, but this is a dude who refused to miss and would literally stay in a rally all day. I mean, he got his cardio to an incredible level, his consistency to an incredible level, his serve was at a high level, his return, all-time great. I mean, I think Novak, just at the beginning of that season, was pretty much impenetrable. Now, I would qualify that with, I don't think it's possible for Novak to, I don't think it's possible to, to continue to play that game. So I think Djokovic had his breakthrough. He was able to play that way for a little while, and it's impossible to sustain. You can't play like that. It's too hard on the body. It's too it's too hard on the mind. And I think he was able to to kind of just peak there. Federer, when he's redlining, is probably produces the best level of tennis though. When he's redlining, because he with the serve, you know, I think he he puts you in a position where sometimes you just can't do anything. And so I, I think in a vacuum, you know, in, in a single set, in a single game, I think Federer can produce the highest level of tennis. I think Djokovic did produce the high level, highest level of tennis. But then again, what surface are we on? If we're on clay, well, Rafa's produced the highest level of tennis. Uh, next non-Big Four member to win a slam. I actually think it's between Tsitsipas and Hachinov. And I make that claim based on potential and rate of improvement. I think rate of improvement is a very important thing to watch. Because it's all about extrapolation. It's all about projection. And, and how big your game is. And can you, can you really catch fire? I feel like... It the the what what I'm kind of seeing in my head would be Hachinov at Wimbledon. If he's able to continue to improve rapidly and progress into next year, I would want to see Hachinov Wimbledon. I don't know. That's just kind of my gut. You know, Australian Open. 
Um, I think it's very tough. It'd be very tough on a, on a hard court for any of the next geners. Uh, you know, clay, very difficult. Um, but grass, that's kind of, that's kind of where, where I'm at right now. But I think Tsitsipas or Hatchinov. Curios we'll get to later. And I gotta, I gotta start going quicker. Um, could you talk a little bit about Denis Shapovalov and his potential? Please, many people say he's overrated. Then again, he's only 19. Start. Let's start there. Um, Shapovalov can, you know, he's a guy. He goes hot and cold. He's so fun to watch, and he's a shot maker, shot maker of all shot makers, and has a has a huge one hander. He's got a huge forehand. Serve's got to be better, though, if you're going to play that brand of tennis. And if your serve is not, you know, if you can't make first serves and you're going to be an aggressive first-strike tennis player, you have no chance. So that one shot is going to hold him back, and that's all he needs to improve. I don't think he's overrated. Um, I do think, you know, he, he needs to develop a little bit more consistency, but the potential is certainly there, no doubt. He's a very unique player, so it's almost hard to compare him to other guys, which makes it a little bit difficult for me to kind of think about his potential. Secondly, could you discuss what makes you pick Felix Auger-Aliassime as one of the most talented next-geners? I haven't seen much of him. Aliassime has the potential for the best combination of defense and offense. I've seen him do things uh, for, you know, kind of wizardry, wizardly things defensively and he's got a really big forehand offensively and he's got a great service motion and that's something that quite frankly I haven't seen from anyone Zverev like I said you know we've we've talked about kind of a tweener doesn't have a huge game offensively or defensively Diminor defense Tsitsipas offense Hatchinoff I do like how he can do a little bit of both um and all these guys, uh, or a lot of these guys to a certain extent can do both. Um, but Hatchinov, a little bit more geared towards offense. Ali Asim, kind of the, the modern mold of kind of the, uh, I believe, like six foot three athletic range where he's strong enough to, to be great offensively, but fast enough to be great defensively. Uh, it's, a, it's a very special mold. He, he has so much potential. Gil, how, how prestigious of a title do you consider the ATP Tour Finals to be? I consider it more prestigious to get there. I think it's a huge deal for these guys to, to go to London and to, to rub shoulders, you know, because when you're in a locker room and only the top eight are in that locker room, that's kind of a, that can be kind of a pinch me moment. That can be like a, okay, you know, I'm, I'm elite. <laughs> and I, th I think that's how, that's how you feel when you get there. Winning it, is awesome. I think it's a big ego boost, but uh, I think getting there is a little bit more important. This is a long one, this comment, and it'll, but it'll give me a chance to talk about uh, all the rules. The next-gen format. Um, first, uh, this is so small. I, is this hard for you guys to read? Because it's hard for me to read. Um, okay, the let serve seems to be an unnecessary attempt to speed up the game. This is just unfair. Let's leave it at that. I don't like the let serve. Um, one thing I will say is, I don't know, does the luck even out? Because we know sometimes it's an ace, but oh, it's a let, <laughs> but it would have been an ace. And then sometimes it pops up and now it's a sitter return, e easy winner. So does the luck even out? I don't know. I'd, I'd have to like, someone would need to track that. I guess, 
I feel like lets are pretty rare. And because I feel like lets are rare, who cares? And I really think that I always say tennis, there's no luck in tennis, only net cords. I'd say net cords is the only luck in tennis. And I love that. I love that about tennis. That's so unique because there's a lot of luck in other sports. I mean, come on. There is so much luck. Uh, there's very little luck in tennis. And I like that. And I'd like to keep it that way. So net cord is a no. Uh, let Playing lets is a no for me. Um, this secondly, the, the Tsitsipas getting a trophy, I don't know, I didn't see that. Thirdly, the shot clock seems to be applied harshly. I don't really want to talk about the shot clock. I, I think that's fine. Um, let's see, and then this says, oh, lastly, purely from an aesthetic point of view, I just can't get used to the lack of linesmen. I am in favor of technology in the, uh, in the Hawkeye, and eventually everybody will adjust to that, but now the court looks kind of empty. Who else got the impression? The first thing I saw was like, oh, wow, like the court does look empty. But I had the opposite reaction. I'm like, ooh, this looks really clean. I like this. But I do want to make one point. I think it's a very important point. These lines judges, I mean, they're, these people are employed. If you phased out lines judges, you'd be taking people's jobs away from them. That's something to think about. That's something to consider. And I know, um, you know, I wonder if other tennis employees would boy would would go on strike um i don't know if there's some kind of union but it would make sense to me let's say uh the atp said okay no more linesmen um or the wta what if the all the chair umpires all the uh what if they all said okay we're not working we're not okay with this so we're not going to work and then the ATP has no leverage. They have to not pass that that rule or, or they need to bring back lines people because it's it's a slippery slope for employees of the sport. And it would be a slippery slope, honestly, for chair umpires, um, for example, I would say. So it's just one thing to think about, just an added layer. In terms of the functionality, I really liked it. I really did. Um, but I'm also okay if we want to keep the human element. I'm okay either way, but honestly, I think I think it was really nice. I think it was really good. Um, I really liked the Hawkeye. A couple things. The sets going to four. Uh, best of five. Too many tie breaks is my big complaint with that. I don't think tennis matches should be tie break competitions. And I feel like that's what a lot of these matches were. I, I liked the pacing of it. I liked that it was okay. This set's done, this set's done, this set's done, this set's done. But it was just like way too many tie breaks. And I think that I I just I just feel like I, I really like the authenticity of okay, you know, I'm trying to hold serve. We alternate service games. We we try to break each other. I mean, that's that's tennis to me. I mean, that's so ingrained in this sport. Tie breaks take that away, and I don't I don't really like that. I think tie breaks are are kind of a, a last resort for you know to decide who's going to win the set they shouldn't be the norm it shouldn't be you know okay a normal set goes to a tie break i don't like that and then lastly the coaching i have super mixed feelings on this and it's so hard for me i i, I really don't i'm really having trouble formulating real uh, an opinion because i love the product I love what I get as a consumer. 
I also like the individuality of, of tennis. So what I'm going to say is I haven't decided on that. Better, though, than the WTA system in between sets where the courts, I mean, where the uh, coaches go on court. The headset was really good. I liked that. Last one. Has TFO topped out or do we think he can get much better? He's obviously very, very quick and has a big serve. Yep. Quick, strong, explosive, good athlete, good talent. I want to see him fight harder. I, I, I hate that that's his flaw because because that's, like I said, I, I don't like that. But I, I need, I just feel like sometimes, when he played Munar and Munar beat him, I mean, one guy was working harder, more engaged, wanted it more, more fire, more tenacity, more fight. You can't let that happen. Also, is Kyrgios just done, you think? I don't really know um, how much about what goes on behind the scenes with him, but from what I see, he mentally just doesn't have what it takes to take the next step up. Maybe he's just one of those guys that people should stop talking about until he does something special. Well, I don't think we should stop talking. Well, yeah, I don't think we should stop talking about him because he's got the talent to win majors. Uh, the latest with Nick Kyrgios is he's getting some professional help um, with his mental game, which is which is what he needs and. You know, the mind is just like the body in the fact where, you know, sometimes there are issues and you need professionals to fix those issues. So I was happy to see that. We'll see if it, if it works, if it doesn't work. Um, but but certainly the mind, the mind holds him back. The body holds him back too, by the way, which is, which is not to be understated. I mean, the guy hasn't stayed healthy. Um, he's always seemingly injured. So that doesn't help at all either. But... Um, I, I'm glad to see this comment because for any of you who don't know, I want to update you that Nick Kyrgios has, has came out and said, um, I am, I am getting, um, professional help. I don't know from a counselor, psychologist, therapist, sports psychologist. I'm, I'm not sure exactly, but I, I do know he is getting professional help and it's the kind of help that he's been hesitant to seek in terms of coaching. So, so it's good to see that he's still young. There's still plenty of time. Um, and, and I hope this does help quickly on the ATP tour finals. Um, I, I did say last week, I said, I wasn't sure, but, but my early hunch is that maybe Chilich wins this. The court's playing a little slow. So I kind of changed my mind. I think for Anderson and Chilich, my thinking was that Chilich has played Djokovic close twice, um, in the best of three set format, at least he he's won two sets in two matches against Djokovic. I, I hope I'm not missing a meeting, but um, I'm thinking of Queens and then I'm thinking of Paris. And I'm thinking Chilich might have a little bit extra motivation if they met in the tour finals just because Djokovic secured number one and he's accomplished so much and, and he might be kind of thinking about the offseason already, whereas Chilich has kind of struggled recently and is starting to find his game at the very end and has kind of come so close against Djokovic a few times. So I was thinking maybe the motivation factor might be enough to kind of just bump Chilich over the edge, indoor hardcore. And then also, I think that Djokovic's worst habit uh, recently has been he, he's become a little bit passive at times, relying a little bit too much on his defense. And, I, you know, I think Chilich is the perfect guy who can kind of end up bullying Novak around the court. Unfortunately, um, oftentimes... Djokovic's defense is so good that Chilich won't make enough balls where where it won't matter, and Djokovic kind of would kind of would still win. Unfortunately for Chilich, that is not so unfortunate for Djokovic. 
But uh, I think the court's playing a little bit too slow, and he did he did lose to Sasha Zverev. Um, and if you look at those tie breaks, um, just just to kind of lament and go back to a point that that I already made earlier, um, what was the difference in those tie breaks? Chilich missed, Sasha didn't. Why is Sasha good? Doesn't miss. Um, and Chilich misses too much a lot of the time, especially under pressure. So I I'm kind of back on thinking that Djokovic will win, and that's my pick. Um, and for Federer, who just lost to Nishikori and played a really, really bad match, I almost feel like he's going to lose to Dominic Team, and and um, it could be an ugly end to the season. That's just kind of my hunch with Federer, and I've said it time and time again. I think he needs the offseason. That's the show. Hope you enjoyed. Don't forget to subscribe. I will see you next time. Make sure to rate and review on iTunes if you haven't done already.